Revelation chapter three, and we're gonna continue on with our uh, conversion culture series. How many knows this morning that our world around us, more than anything, more than the term that has been used of cancel culture or even change culture, we need to see a conversion in our culture, a conversion back to Jesus Christ. That is our only solution. That is our only answer. And can I preach to us this morning as the church, as those who are believers in Jesus Christ, the answer lies within us as we teach and preach and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. There isn't going to be an answer that's going to come in November in the election. And I I, I hate to bust all of our bubbles if we think that there's gonna be some kind of answer, regardless of which candidate we're supporting in, in the election in November and whoever is inaugurated in January. But the answer still lies in the truths of the teachings and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I look at the screen this morning, I look at the little graphic that I chose to use as part of this series. You've seen that in every week as we're going through the seven churches. Today's the fifth church in Revelation uh, in chapters one, two, and three. But I see a dried up ground on one side and I see a luscious grass-filled ground on the other. I believe that is very, very much a picture of what we are gonna see in our world as we become closer and closer to the coming of Jesus Christ. I believe that there are gonna be those who are going to thrive in their relationship with God. I believe there are gonna be those who are gonna thrive in the fullness and the presence of the Holy Spirit who Christ sent to us, who he sent to the church. But on the other hand, I'm afraid that there's gonna be a great drying up that we'll see around the world. The scripture talks about a great falling away, but the scripture also talks about in the last days that God would pour out his spirit. And many times we can say, well, that seems contradictory. I propose to us this morning that that is not contradictory. I believe that more and more in the world today, we're going to see those who are unfortunately falling away and drying up. But on the other hand, I believe that we can be part of a remnant and part of a number that will be filled with the Holy Spirit and will flourish during these last days. I wanna be part of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I wanna be a part of what God is trying to do in this world today, even up until the very moment when Christ comes again for his church. So as we preach about this conversion culture, it brings it down from the culture into the church. And really then it takes us from the church down to the individual. Because how many of us know this morning the church, God's church, I'm not just, when I'm saying the church, I'm not just talking about here on this property, but God's church, believers around the world, God's church is made up of real people. You say, pastor, that is so profound this morning. God's church is made up of real people. I remember when I was growing up that that pastors and even evangelists would come through and maybe they would talk about us being real people or they would make some kind of point and they would say, pinch your neighbor if you believe that. And I think about that, how odd that sounds. I hope Pastor Allison didn't used to do that. Pinch (laughs) Pinch your neighbor. 
Maybe it was just a Southwest Virginia thing. I, I, I don't know. But I, I started to put that in my notes this morning. I started to put in there to say, we are real people. If you don't believe it, pinch your neighbor. And then I thought, why in the world would we want to pinch our neighbor? <laughs> I don't think we're even allowed to pinch our neighbor in this world of social distancing right now, right? But I thought, why in the world would we, would we even say pinch your neighbor? But I think they would say that to get a response from the people. I just thought that was a little humorous this morning. So I chose not to use that example in, in regards to us being real people. But we are real people. The church is made up of real people. So when we looked at Ephesus and Ephesus said, or, or Christ described Ephesus as being the loveless church, they had lost their first love, then that means there were people like you and I, individuals who had lost their zeal and their love like they should have for Christ. Think about that. When we looked at those precious people in Smyrna, do you remember when we preached about Smyrna a few weeks ago and those precious, precious people who were outcast and they were persecuted, yet they held on to Christ? Those were real people. Those are inspirational people. Then we looked at Pergamos. They were compromising so there were people there that knew better, but they were allowing things that were not biblical to come in. Same thing really in Thyatira, a corrupt church. And they had allowed ungodly leadership to take control of their church. These were real people. So as we look at Sardis today, the church at Sardis, and then as we look next week at Philadelphia, and then we look the last week at Laodicea, Let's keep in mind that we're not preaching about some just unique or, or some broad group or, or a category. We're preaching about individual people who were together as a church and, they, and as individuals, they had made choices, whether they be right choices or whether they be wrong choices. So the church consists of you and I. Somebody say you. Somebody say I. The church consists of you and I. Nortonsville Church of God consists of you and I. And churches have personalities. When I used to work in the school system, uh, it would be said that a school has a personality. And I noticed that. I served on committees from time to time where we would go in and, and look at the accreditation of a school and we would walk into the school and you, you would be there maybe five minutes and you would feel the personality of the school. A church has a personality. Now, I hope and I pray that our personality is one of love. Amen? I hope and I pray that our church is a personality of friendliness. I hope and pray that our church is a personality of following God and, and, and a hunger after God. But if we have those positive personalities, it's because you and I as individuals have those personalities. Is that, is that all right this morning? Does that, that make sense? So, so these letters are very personal. These letters are to each church. But the amazing thing is when you look at these letters in chapters two and three of Revelation to each church, you can take it and you can really also apply it to different church ages throughout the history of, of mankind. 
And then you can take each church and you can make it applicable to you and I and where we are today. And we can learn from the strengths of these churches and the weaknesses of these churches. Churches have reputations. Now, I know when you think about Nortonsville Church of God, the the pastor of Spring Hill Baptist told me this when I first met him. He said, the first thing I heard about your church, he said, was about apple butter. (laughs) So we have a world-renowned reputation for the best apple butter in the world. That's, That's our reputation. Now, I'm saying that a little humorous, but it is true. When when people hear Nortonsville, they think apple butter. But I hope that our reputation is more than just apple butter, right? I hope that when they hear Nortonsville Church of God, we have a reputation that those people will pray for you. They are a praying people. They have people who come together every Thursday morning and they will pray for you. They are a people of prayer. If you need prayer, go to that church. They'll pray for you. I hope that when they hear about Nortonsville Church of God, they'll say, those people are loving and giving people and they meet needs in their communities and they help families. I think about a few months ago, Vernell, when we loaded up that bus, we we put out an email. There's a family in need and stuff started just pouring in to the church and donations started pouring in to the church. We loaded up the church bus and we took it up to that home. And I hope and I pray that when people think about Nortonsville Church of God, they'll say those people are giving people. I hope and I pray that when people think about Nortonsville Church of God, they will say they are uncompromising in the truth. The preacher might step on your toes if you go there, but they're not gonna compromise the truth of the gospel, the word of the living God. I hope that that is the reputation of our church. You see, reputations reflect the actions and the attitudes of the people. So when we become part of the body of Christ, we're not just reflecting ourselves, we're reflecting our local church body. And we're not just reflecting our local church body, but way more important than all of that, we're reflecting Jesus Christ. And so may my actions, my reactions, my words, my deeds, may they reflect positively on Jesus Christ. So churches have reputations. Unfortunately, Sardis had not been what it used to be. Sardis had a big name. Sardis, if, if Sardis in the church world today had been part of, of some denomination, they would have been one of the leading churches, quote unquote, probably, in the denomination. And everybody would have said, oh, if you wanna get a good pastorate, you go to Sardis. Or if you, that's a good church, that's a strong church. They would have been known throughout the network of, of all the ministries if you kind of connected in today's terms. But unfortunately, the name that Sardis had did not line up to who Sardis as a church really was. That's sad. That's a sad thought. Sardis, in fact, was nearly dead. Sardis was nearly dead. There was very little fruit coming out of the church at Sardis. 
There was very little impact occurring through the ministry of the church of Sardis. God, help that not to be the case for our local church body. God, help us that if we do have a name and a reputation of God fearing strong church people, that our reputation would match who we really are. Can I tell us this morning, a world that is in crisis, I started to say a world in crisis needs a church in revival. Now that's an old cliche, and I, that's true, I agree with that, but I changed that a little bit. A world in crisis needs a church that is alive in Christ. Now more than ever, the communities that surround us, the state that we're in, and even the world all around the world. Now more than ever, church, we need to be a church that is alive in Christ. The only hope for this world is going to come through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And how is this world, how are these communities around us going to ever discover Jesus Christ if we become a dead church. A world in crisis needs a church that is alive in Christ. I've said it before and I'm gonna say it again because I believe it. We have gone into this pandemic, weird times, unique times, unprecedented times. I was gonna say, if you believe that, pinch your neighbor, but I just gotta, I gotta get away from that phrase though. unprecedented times. But I believe that God is ordaining what is happening. And I believe that God is at work in his people and in his church, and this is our moment. Can I say that again to us as Christians, as a church? This is our moment. Now more than ever, I believe that God can use the church in the days and the weeks and the months that are ahead more than ever before. Now, if you believe that, give me a good amen this morning. I believe now more than ever, the culture needs the church. This is our moment. This is our time. God, help us not to miss it. So I asked this question. Sardis had a name, but they didn't match up to their name. So what's in a name? What is in a name? What is in a name? After my wife asked me to marry her and I finally said yes, she took my name. What is, now why are some of you laughing at that? As if you don't believe that. But what is in a name? I thought about brand names when I talk about what is in a name. And there are certain expectations in a brand name. I thought about the name Ford. Oh, I heard some, mm, well that. Some of you might think of the brand name Ford and your expectation is a broken down vehicle on the side of the road. Others of you might say Ford and you say, hey, I live and die by my Ford truck. You better better leave my Ford alone. Some of us think about brand names like Walmart. If I think about Walmart, there's a certain expectation that I have when I go to Walmart, right? I don't go to Walmart expecting to sit down and have a steak dinner. I go to Walmart because it's a one-stop shop and I know 
certain things are gonna be at Walmart and certain expectations. What's in a name? Now, you know I have to include food. If I would say Olive Garden, what's my expectation? If I went to Olive Garden and I walked in and they had a dollar menu that looked like McDonald's, I would be highly disappointed. Probably, I'm not a crier, but I'd probably cry. What is it a name? But you see my point this morning. There are, there are names and there are certain expectations that come with those names. Sardis had a name and people expected certain things because of the reputation, but they were falling way short. Look with me, Revelation chapter three, begin at verse number one. And the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things says he, this is Christ, Christ is speaking, as we know in all these churches, says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. God is speaking here, and he said you have a name, that you're alive, but yet you are dead. And in the salutation, Christ describes himself as the one who holds the seven stars and has the seven spirits of God. I've already said that it's in last week's sermon, but it's amazing to me in every salutation of every letter, all seven, Christ identifies himself in a different way. And every time he identifies himself in that unique way, it really is providing the description or the prescription for what that church really needs. Jesus is all I need. Jesus has everything we need. And, and, and when he writes to each of these churches, he, he describes himself as the solution, really. When you read the salutation, you really see already the solution to the problem of each of the churches he writes to. It's amazing to me. Here he talks about the seven spirits of God. Now, I thought about that term and I researched that term out and I thought seven spirits of God. What are the seven spirits of God? Well, what he is writing here, what he is saying here is first and foremost, there's only one Holy Spirit. One Holy Spirit. Now, now watch me here. Here's what John is writing, what Christ is saying one Holy Spirit. We, we say Holy Spirit. We can say Holy Ghost. Spirit and ghost, it means the same thing. So Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. There's one Holy Spirit. But there are many, seven mentioned here, manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And here he is saying that I am Christ. I have sent the Holy Spirit who knows how to move in many different ways to meet many different needs. And I am looking at your church and your church is dead, but I want to remind you that I am still the Christ of the church and I still want to send my Holy Spirit upon you to move in your church. A church cannot be alive if that church is not willing to allow the moving and manifestation of the Holy Spirit. 
Can I say that one more time? A church can never fully be alive if that church is quenching or putting the Holy Spirit in a back room or in a corner somewhere. The church must have the fullness of the moving of the Holy Spirit. And Christ is saying here to the church at Sardis, evidently they had resisted the Holy Spirit. Evidently they were trying to do things in themselves and under their own power and strength. But God help us as the Nortonsville Church of God, as individuals within this body, we must have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And Christ is saying here, I have who, I was gonna say what you need, but I have who you need. I want to send again the presence and the personality of the Holy Spirit upon your congregation and in your individual lives. And since I mentioned individual lives, let me just preach to all of us this morning. We need, as we sang that song earlier this morning, we need as individuals, as our prayer, come Holy Spirit, I need you. And let me challenge us as we go through this coming week, just take some time throughout the day, just take some time in random moments and look to God and just say, come Holy Spirit, I need you. He also said that he held in his hands the seven stars. Now the stars represented the pastors, the leaders of the churches. There is still a need today, if not today, more than ever before, there is still a need for godly leadership in the churches. I ask you, pray for your pastor, pray for me. Hold me up in prayer. Watch out for me. If you see me going in the wrong direction, come and talk to me. Is that all right? If you think I'm erring from the word of God and I'm compromising, come and talk to me. Now do it the right way. <laughs> Hold me accountable. Now more than ever, we have a need for godly, uncompromising leadership in our church. Can I propose to you that the position of a pastor of a church is not a profession, it is a calling. And God help us now more than ever, God raise up men and women who are called of you and put them in pulpits and put them in the leadership of churches all around this world. Now more than ever, we need godly leadership. So what's in a, a name What's in a name? But then I looked on to say, if I can continue on my consumer buying theme this morning. Have you noticed that? I try to be clever sometimes. What's in a name? Well, what, what experience do we expect? What experience do we expect? What's going on? What's happening? Today, we live in a society that is consumer driven. And we live in a church world that has increasingly become consumer driven. And if I'm not careful, and if you're not careful, we allow personal preferences and opinions and conveniences and all of these things to skew our minds as to what church is supposed to be about. 
But church is about Christ. Church is about fulfilling the teachings of Christ and the great commission of Christ and the great commandment of Christ. Can I be very careful this morning? And please take this into the, in the context of, of where I'm preaching. But church, it's not about me and it's not about you. you say, what? No, church is about him. Church is about Christ. It's all about him. And I propose to us, when we think about what experience, that when we come in to the church house, on our weekly gatherings, we enter his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts and enter his courts with praise. Come in in worship to him. Come in in an attitude of prayer. Come in with an attitude of love. You say, well, church is not what I want it to be. It needs to be what Christ wants it to be. And then we need to create that atmosphere. Is that all right? We need to come in and, and say, all right, I didn't think everybody was quite as friendly as they ought to have been last week, so you know what I'm gonna do this week? I'm gonna come in with a joyful attitude and I'm gonna start, well, I was gonna say start hugging necks and, and shaking hands, but you know, when, whenever that's legal again. <laughs> but you see my point. We say, oh, I came to church and we really should have prayed more. So you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna pray more before I come. Yeah. Boy, that's, that's good preaching if it is me, you know? You say, well, we weren't as worshipful as we ought to have been a few weeks ago. So you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna come, I'm gonna lift up holy hands and worship and honor him. Yeah. It's all about him, what experience, the experience should be a Christ-led and a Christ-centered and a Christ-honoring experience. If you believe that, say amen this morning. When it comes down to the rubber meeting the road and us living our lives, you know the church, our gathering is not the church, just the church. We're the church out there, wherever we're at. And it's the same thing. What experience are we showing others? What are others seeing if they know we're Christians and they know we profess to be Christians, then their experience with Christianity could be based on what they're seeing us doing. So think about those things. Let's look, Revelation chapter three, begin at verse two. I know I need to hurry on. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Remember, therefore. I really like that little phrase. It just grabbed me this week. And I wanna just remind all of us today. Remember what we know. Remember how we have known Christ and his blessings and Christ and his word. Remember some of those things and if, if, if things have drifted in our lives, let's remember what we've received. Let's remember what we have heard. And then he goes on to say, hold fast. We, I believe it was last week we ended by saying, hold fast. Was that last week or the week before? But hold fast 
and repent. Is it necessary sometimes to repent? Well, Christ tells the church here, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. That is speaking of judgment. And again, as I've said over and over in this series, Christ is warning them, whichever church it was, he's warning us because he would rather extend his mercy and grace to us. He'd rather do that than have to bring his judgment upon us. And so he brings messages like this one today. He, he, he gives us letters like this one today in chapter three to, to stir us and to remind us. He would much rather extend mercy and grace to us than judgment. Verse four, you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. We've talked about what name and what experience, but as I close today, what result? What result? What is the final result that we want and need in our lives And it's this, we need to be overcomers in Christ. Keep in mind, John the Revelator was writing this down and Christ was inspiring him. And if you look at that term overcomers and you go back to the first epistle of John, you'll see where John, that'd be a good little epistle to read this week, the first epistle of John, where John's talking about overcomers. An overcomer, is one who has put their hope, their faith, their very life in Jesus Christ. I want to serve Christ. How about you this morning? I want to serve Christ. He said an overcomer will be clothed in white garments. That means purity. When you think of white garments, it means purity. And as Christians, oh yes, Christ has washed our sins away. But we still live in a fallen world. We still live with the effects of sin. And let's be honest, sometimes even as believers, we still sin. Amen? When we sin, what do we need to do? Confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But one day, I will be made like him. One day, when he puts that white garment up on me, I will receive my glorified body and I will have no, get this, I love it. I'll have no sin nature ever again. That makes me wanna shout more than the streets of gold and the walls of Jasper and the gates of pearl. Because one day, I will be perfected, the perfecting of my salvation. One day when I receive my glorified body, I'll never be tempted again. There will never be an appeal to sin again, ever again. And I'll be likened unto the Son of God 
in that sense. Now, I won't be the son of God. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But, but I'll be complete and whole and the fulfillment of all holiness and righteousness. I'm looking forward to that day. I'm excited about that day. I look forward to those white garments and that new body. Then he said, I will not blot the overcomer's name from the book of life. I wrote beside of that, there is security. Now, I'm not teaching and preaching eternal security where you can just live any way you wanna live. That's not what I mean. But for those who have accepted Jesus Christ and truly are trying to maintain that relationship with Christ, he has your name and my name in the book of life and he doesn't plan on taking it out. If there's any blotting out, it's gonna happen because of our rebellion and our moving away from Christ. But Christ, said here, I will not blot out the overcomer's name from the book of life. And then he said, this meant victory. We're talking about what result. My result is purity, security, and victory. Christ will confess the overcomer's name before his father and his angels. I'm reminded of a passage in the New Testament where Jesus said, if you deny me, I'll deny you before my father, but here, those who are overcomers, he's gonna confess our name before the father and his angels. And then the final verse in this passage, verse six, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit says to the church. Would you stand with me this morning? So when I look at that last verse, I say, God, what is it that you're trying to say to me as an individual from this passage of just six little verses this morning. What is it that the Spirit wants to say to me? And that's how I want us to pray during our prayer time this morning. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me as an individual from these six verses today? Is that all right? That's what I'd like for each one of us to do as we pray together this morning. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me from these six verses this morning? I wanna ask a few questions as they get ready to sing. What would my church be like if it took on my personality? Think about that. I think about my personality. I think, what if the whole church took on my personality? We'd eat a lot. And laugh a lot. lot. Well, that's good. (laughs) What, What would my church be like? What would my church be like if they took on my purpose for living? Where are my priorities as an individual So what if my whole church took on those same priorities? What what would the result be? What would my church look like if they took on my persistence? And I'm talking commitment level there. What would my whole church look like if if we all had the same persistence as, as you have as an individual? Another question, what am I getting from my church? Am I getting Christ-like love? Am I receiving sound doctrine? Do we have godly leadership? I hope all those answers are yes, but I would encourage you to make those prayer points for our church. Pray that we'll be Christ-like in our love. Pray that we'll have sound doctrine. Pray that we'll have godly leadership. It all boils down to what does God desire? What is the Spirit speaking to me as an individual? What does He desire for my individual life and for my church? And so would you just bow your head with me this morning and let's just pray together and then they're gonna sing one final song. God, what is it that you require of me this morning? Lord, as we pray together, 
Let us zone in as individuals, hone in as individuals, get very precise this morning. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to each one of us as an individual? God, as we have studied this morning about the church of Sardis, as an individual, what can we take away this morning? What is the Holy Spirit speaking to us about? And God, let us listen to you. Be mindful of what the Spirit is trying to say to us through these scriptures today. And then make the appropriate adjustments, make the appropriate changes, God. And as individuals, don't let us be dead Christians, but let us be fully alive in Christ, fully alive in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. God is a corporate body. Don't let us be a dead church. Don't let us be a church that had a name, a a has-been church, a used-to-be church. But God, let us be a church that is fully alive in Jesus Christ. Let us be a church that is fully alive in the full manifestation and moving of the Holy Spirit. Let us be a church that is responding to the crisis in the world around us. Put a special anointing upon this church, God, and use us in what I believe is these very last days that we're living in. Use this church as a corporate body and use us as individual members of your church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Continue to pray this morning as they sing. Continue to worship. This altar is open. If you want to come for prayer or come to accept Christ, this altar is open this morning.